Okay. So uh, let's just take a moment to recall each of us our deepest purpose for being here at this retreat and just uh, rest in that for a moment. So um, one thing to further say about the compassionate presence to feelings practice that's uh, really helpful to keep in mind <clears throat> from uh, with the repeated practice of compassionate presence to feelings, but it takes a lot of repetition. So we learn it on the meditation cushion, as it were, but then we're practicing it throughout our day repeatedly. As I said, of course, we can do that with the other meditations as well, including prominently the field of care meditation, if that becomes more and more embedded and uh, evocative for our practice. So you can just settle back with, with a field of care and kind of join them in becoming that holding environment for whatever's happening. Uh, similarly, with compassion, presence, to feelings, we can just reconnect with it throughout our day. I mean, ultimately, it could become a way of being, a different way of being with our feelings. In any case, with repeated practice of CPF, the qualities of warmth and acceptance and openness that we bring to an emotion in that practice become part of the experience of that emotion. It becomes part of our memory of how to experience that emotion. So it starts to get imprinted so the next time we experience the emotion, a little bit of those qualities of CPF are there. You following what I'm saying? So, as we keep repeating the, the CPF practice, it will more and more become part of our emotions. Now, out of habit, we'll still tend to get frustrated or afraid or angry, of course. Uh, in many different contexts. But now, if CPF and its qualities are starting to become embedded in our emotions little by little, then when we get frustrated or afraid or personally angry or other such emotions, uh, now we're not quite as fully caught up in them. Um, there's more basic warmth and compassion here also for yourself, for others. And there's more discernment and more inner freedom. And that starts, to sh that starts to shift and change things. So again, as I've said before, the kinds of knowing that are made available in our emotions can clarify. And the distorted aspect of our emotions, which is occluding or shutting out 
much or even most of the reality, the fuller reality of everyone, when I'm just afraid or just angry or just pissed off or just frustrated or whatever it is. I'm actually not seeing most of the reality here. I'm caught up. But there's also a kind of knowing in that emotion. So that's starting to open, clarify. And we're learning to a kind of a deepening, kind of gradually a deepening equanimity of how to be with our emotions, which doesn't erase them or suppress them, but is the opposite. It comes from learning how to be a holding environment for them that's not suppressing or or avoiding anything. But also not, complete, not completely caught up and identified with them. Not that either. So, we did the inclusive mode practice last night. Do you remember that? And the platform for that was we first uh, entered into the field of care kind of practice. And that helped us again to, with the help of the field of care, that evoke loving qualities that helps us help us become a loving environment, a kind of holding environment for all of parts of ourselves, for all feelings or everything that comes up. And that very naturally and is already almost automatically, and the, the inclusive practice points it out, uh, can become an increasingly great holding of others in that same holding environment. It's how to become more of a compassionate presence to others through that inclusive mode of meditation. So as we explored in that meditation and the introduction to it, love here is the power to commune with, with beings in their deep dignity and worth and capacity and to wish them deeply well. And in this context, compassion uh, is a form of love. It's not something else separate from love. It is love uh, when, uh, when we're also in touch with another suffering. So we're, we're in touch with that in them. We're sensing them kind of in their depth, in their capacity. We're also sensing in them their layers of suffering and wishing them to be free of the suffering and its causes so they can be deeply well. So love is like the wish for them to be deeply well, but they can't be deeply well if they're caught up in suffering. So compassion is the form of love. It's just wishing to be free of the suffering so you'd be deeply well. It is love, but in that particular form. Now, what I want to raise up here are two restrictive tendencies that prevent our compassion from <clears throat> becoming uh, much more unconditional and all-inclusive. This is coming from a Buddhist point of view, but I think it's pretty broadly applicable. <clears throat> the first is our tendency to direct our love and care, and therefore also our compassion, <coughs> just to our own in-groups the ones who appear to us to be the ones who matter, who really matter, in comparison or to others who don't, don't seem to matter that much. And of course, we're, so, we're to some degree, and I think in our modern society, we're socialized to pretend that everyone matters and we all care about everyone equally, or to project that kind of an image, but we really do not, absolutely do not, behave that way. 
or react that way. We absolutely do not. So forget that. I mean, of course, that's a nice ideal. But we're not behaving that way at all because actually at a, at a more subliminal level of perception and feeling, we don't feel all others equally that way. It feels to us like some really matter and others really don't matter so much. It just feels that way. And we can observe that through just even the simplest, even a little bit of mindfulness practice whenever we're anywhere, anywhere, even here now. Just notice that. <clears throat> so that's the first restrictive tendency, but the inclusive mode of practice that was introduced last night uh, is a mode of practice that, that directly counters that tendency by beginning to include more and more and more beings in, in its scope as it unfolds in practice. This holding environment that we're learning to become for all parts of us, we, begin to, we can begin to actually get a feeling of it and how it actually can hold others, almost like it needs to hold others to more fully manifest this, this power of our Buddha nature. It really can hold all the others. And it can, really, it can really sense them as also having a depth to them, Buddha nature, if you will, a depth to their being that completely transcends all these superficial labels and, and, uh, about who matters and who doesn't. So we can sense that more and more through repeated practice of the inclusive mode. And I know that there are quite a number of meditations that we're going through. Of course, they're all building on each other, but there are quite a number of them. So I'm going to talk about this a little bit later in the retreat, but <clears throat> in daily practice, and you know, after this retreat, and also at the retreat, you basically pick one or two of these practices. It's typically the best way to go. And really do it a lot. Do one of them at least uh, first thing in the morning as a kind of an anchor and then reconnect with that one and perhaps another complementary one that's connecting for you and repeatedly touch in on them throughout your day. And then in the evening, reconnect again with one of those. And gradually, because they're related to all the others, the others can unfold and now maybe a different one after a few months or whatever is becoming really prominent for you, very connecting for you because the others help prepare for it. Any of them actually help prepare for all the others. <coughs> so as we do the, just to say that as when we reach a point where you start, to do the, you start to do the field of care meditation in a way that it makes deep sense to you to let it become the inclusive mode, then you do that inclusive mode form of meditation. In the handout, it's meditation number six. You just do it a lot in your days. Just reconnect with it even briefly, a couple for a minute or two and then go back to what you're doing. And gradually it's the direction of all these practices that gradually it just can start to even become a way of being. But it usually takes quite a lot of practice over time. But that is the aim. Eventually it just starts to become more of a way of being. But that takes its own time and a lot of repetition. So again, the first restrictive tendency is that just to uh, direct our love and care and compassion just to our in-groups. And that starts to be broken down by the inclusive mode of practice. The second restrictive tendency is one that's not as well known in our culture. And that is to have compassion for others only when we perceive them undergoing an obvious form of suffering. 
I think even for, for many of us, it wouldn't even occur to us to consider the notion of compassion with regard to someone who's not intensively undergoing suffering, obvious suffering. What about someone who's not intensively going, undergoing obvious suffering, physical or mental, right now? What sense would it make to have compassion for them? We don't even think of that way. I mean, typically, many of us in modern societies. I'm just trying to, whenever I do that, I'm just trying to point out some modern, modernist social conditioning that's not fully conscious to us. Because then what I'm introducing is coming from a tradition and a kind of worldview that doesn't hold those assumptions and doesn't see things that way at all. So again, the second restrictive tendency is to have compassion for others just when we perceive them experiencing an obvious form of suffering like severe physical pain. And of course, that's, that's an important time to have compassion, absolutely. It's just that that's not enough. A more fully conscious, uh, more, much more fully aware compassion doesn't stop just at obvious layers of suffering. It's also conscious of hidden layers of suffering in everyone, everyone. That is layers of fear and struggle, grief and stress that are often not even fully conscious to us all, but we are undergoing them. So such compassion that's aware of inner layers of suffering in everyone, everyone, can encompass everyone we meet or think of even, aware that each being is undergoing inner sufferings beyond what is obvious, each one. So a much more conscious and aware compassion, or you might say compassion as an expression of much fuller awareness and wisdom, uh, automatically sees a sentient being with a sense of compassion for that being, automatically. And that's the kind of compassion that is cultivated in Buddhism. So to develop such a deep sense of compassion, we need to become conscious of underlying layers of suffering in beings. And that's not possible unless we become much more fully conscious of underlaying or hidden layers of suffering in ourselves, which correspond to analogous layers of suffering in others, or as human beings, are really part of our human condition. For example, feelings of distress, fear, grief, loss, loneliness, despair, hopelessness, unworthiness, fear of dying, fear for loved ones in their vulnerability and their mortality. This is broadly shared as human beings. I'm quite aware that in different cultures, the way emotions are constructed within quite different contexts differs. At the same time, as part of our human condition, in all the different ways that emotions are constructed in different cultures, we broadly share these kinds of feelings. 
it's not somehow totally puzzling to us when um, a town in another country, let's say part of the Middle East, is bombed or people are blown up. And then we see that on the television screen, as a, a, you know, a snippet maybe for 30 seconds, 20 seconds, of a funeral ceremony with the music, and there's a mother wailing in grief uh, with her, her head on the casket of her child. That is not just alien to us, sorry. The, cultural, the culturally situated construction of emotion does not make us aliens to each other just because we come from different cultures. There's a profoundly shared level of layers of hidden suffering that we share as part of our human condition, as well as the, um, the differences that come with um, different cultural constructions of emotion. So I'm aware of all that, and I would uh, suggest that this is another case where we don't choose one over the other, erase the one in the name of the other, because that strategy will just be hiding half of the reality and uh, therefore uh, obstructing the possibility of some very deep, uh, deep power of compassion that otherwise we cannot know. We will have rationalized ourselves out of ever finding deep compassion because I can't understand who the suffering others go through, so I don't have to. So I don't have to. I can't really empathize with them, so I won't. It becomes a rationalization like that. I've seen it used that way, especially by intellectuals. It's part of the life of academia. Go to conferences and listen to that crap. Sorry. <laughs> You know. <laughs> okay. So the, the next, uh, so, so, so we can begin to empathize with others in analogous inner and hidden layers of suffering that, that, that are part of our human condition. Uh, as we also, you know, supported uh, by growing awareness of, of what have been hidden layers of suffering in ourselves that correspond to what others also have, like the kinds I just named, broadly shared across human life. To become aware of these hidden layers of suffering in others, in all others, and in ourselves, of course, much further undercuts our limiting impressions of others. So that, oh, this one seems like really different really different kind of person, uh, really different thing, is profoundly undercut by the, by the ability to sense hidden layers of suffering that we broadly share as human beings. It can't really sustain our usual um, reified discriminations. Can't, just can't be sustained, they start to collapse. I think this is also part of the power of figures like the Dalai Lama, who's just too in touch with the layers of suffering in beings. So it, it becomes a kind of unconditionality that I think virtually any, everyone can feel.
So the next meditation on compassion is, is, is again, it's adapted from Tibetan cultivations of compassion, but it provides a safe way for us to become conscious of our own inner layers of suffering to empower compassion for others with analogous layers in our human condition. So this meditation, and I call it, I call, I'm calling it these days Compassion Meditation One, because there are two main compassion meditations within this scheme. Compassion Meditation One, which is uh, taking our own layers of suffering into compassion for many others. So in this form of compassion meditation, we draw on the secure base that we've established in prior meditations, like in the field of care and CPF meditations, so we can experience all of our feelings, including uh, quite painful ones or distressing ones, um, within the spacious holding environment of love and compassion. So it can begin to feel actually safe to us to have those feelings, which is necessary so we can let these distressing feelings inform our empathy for others with analogous distressing feelings. In other words, we won't go there. Like, in order to better understand others in their hidden layers of suffering, we need to get in touch with our own. And we will not go there unless it feels uh, safe enough for us to do that. We will not go there. We won't know them. We won't let ourselves know them. So the, uh, the establishing of a loving holding environment for all parts of ourselves, all of our feelings, has been a big, is a big deal. It also prepares for this meditation. So through this practice, by, we're going to focus first on one distressing feeling that's, that's familiar to you, one that you feel you can, you can handle. If this is a new meditation to you, then don't, again, like I've said before, don't start the extending of love to, to others with Hitler. So, okay, just don't do that if it's, this is a new practice to you. Later, you can extend it to whoever, to everyone, but not where you begin. Similarly, with the painful with feelings in the body for CPF, don't start with the most intense, painful uh, feeling in your body. That's, if you, the practice is new to you, you don't begin there. You have to learn the practice to be able to be with those things. Otherwise, we're just sabotaging ourselves in the name of practicing. So, similarly here, if there's a kind of emotional feeling, distressing feeling, that you know is just beyond your ability to be with right now, don't start with that. Do the meditation with something else, and that, as we learn it better and better, increasingly we can, we can actually be with anything, in theory, any feeling. But we don't start that way if the practice is new to us, or, or we've just, you know, fallen into uh, uh, disastrous uh, kind of moment in our life and there's something that's, that's just too strong to do this particular practice with, fine, that's absolutely, that's how it is. But then pick a different feeling for now. Okay? So in this way, we're learning to experience our own suffering feelings as connecting instead of isolating us from others our own uh, distressing feelings are drawing us into solidarity with others right through our feelings. This is a very different way to experience our, our distressing feelings. Usually we have a tendency to, to maybe feel overwhelmed by them 
or a tendency to just feel terribly isolated and alone in my pain. Just mine. It feels like just mine. Isolating me from the world in my pain. For many of us, I think much of the time it feels that way to have suffering feelings. What this meditation does is, again, it's kind of like a judo move. It just changes, it shifts everything. So the, the, very, the intensity of the suffering feeling itself is, is becoming an intensity of empathy and compassion for what we beings are going through. It's no longer a me. The energy of a dist- the distressing feeling, instead of closing in on itself and becoming more and more isolating and distressing, um, becomes an intensifying energy of empathy and compassion for all who suffer through this, for all others like that. Again, it's like a judo move. That's part of the uh, kind of brilliance, I think, of of Tibetan traditions. The, the, The tradition, in a sense, is is founded on the notion of like a judo move on how we've been experiencing everything. And the intense energies involved in the way we've been experiencing become energies of awakening rather than energies of further uh, kind of caught upness. Just by taking that same energy. Just like in judo, I don't know if you're familiar with judo, that form of martial art, it's really quite remarkable. Uh, other, some other martial arts are very much like this, but. You never, you're not, your, your opponent is, is coming at you with force, let's say, to knock you over. And you do not oppose that force. The, the, your opponent's force, you following what I'm saying? They're, like, they're charging you, <laughs> charging at you. So, welcome, great. And then you just take them with their force and throw them. You let their force throw them. You don't, have to, you don't have to generate any force at all. Aikido is the same principle. It's Korean, yeah. So, uh, many of these practices are, are really like that. Take the, intense, the intensifying energy of our own ordinary caught-up emotions and just let them be flipped in a certain way. And the, the, instead of opposing them, or trying to fight their energy, the, the, the energy of them becomes the energy of awakening. Here, the energy of our own uh, uh, distressing feeling itself becomes the energy of connection and compassion. The stronger the, stronger the energy of the distressing feeling, the stronger the compassion. And this will come up again in, the, in compassion meditation too, that we'll do. We'll do tomorrow. But anyhow, that principle, it's really it's like a brilliant thing about Tibetan Buddhism. It's really amazing. Everything's like a martial art. So to prepare for the meditation, oh, the other thing I was just going to say is the meditation can also be, surprisingly, as we, as we catch on to it, I mean, we need to repeat the meditation a bit, familiarize a bit with it over time, the way I was just describing, 
And as we kind of, oh yeah, I think I'm just beginning even a tiny bit to catch on to this. When that begins to happen, there, comes a, there usually comes a, a kind of joyfulness with that because there's a feeling of, of that we're, we're learning to experience our, our, our difficult feelings not as disconnecting and meaningless, but as profoundly meaningful and deeply connected. And even as kind of precious, our difficult experiences are actually the key to awakening if we learn how to let them uh, awaken us. So it can be kind of a, a joyfulness that starts to emerge in the practice. It might seem paradoxical because we're you know, become, becoming more conscious of hidden layers of suffering in ourselves and others. How could that be joyful? But as the force of compassion comes out more and more, that's, that's actually quite joyful. It's sort of like a profoundly getting real in a way I didn't know how to do. And I couldn't have known how to do on my own. There's no way I could have figured that out. It required some repetition of practice uh, transmitted and passed down well by uh, teachers and, and communities of practice. So to prepare for the meditation, compassion meditation one, I'm calling it now, it's easier than taking our suffering feelings into compassion. Um, is we're going to become conscious of a distressing feeling, kind of reconnect with a distressing feeling that's familiar to you. That maybe that you've experienced a lot. So it's not a mystery. Like, oh my gosh, what do you mean, John? Distressing feeling. What, what, what distressing? Where do we find a distressing feeling? So just what would you call that? I call it a distressing feeling. I don't know, a difficult feeling, painful feeling, feeling you don't like to have. Has anyone ever had a feeling like that? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Remember that was 10 years ago you had a feeling like that? You remember? Yesterday. Remember that? Okay, yesterday. Not today. <laughs> Okay, anyhow, sorry. Um, the point is we're all really familiar with, with distressing feelings. So uh, one that you're very familiar with, one that you've experienced a lot, maybe you've been experiencing it today or over these days or in the days before you came here. Just let it come. Um, a familiar feeling that you broadly share with, with many other human beings is just part of our human condition. And I'll give a list of those kinds of feelings, but... You can expand that list yourself as you practice over time if you take it up. Your list will expand. So kind of a a distressing feeling that you've experienced a lot and then you bring it to mind and just sense through that what many others feel in their own ways. To hear that can cause a hiccup. (laughs) Love that. So... Or you can just pick a, a feeling from this list uh, <laughs> for, for ease of practice. So made this list consulting with others but uh, for the meditation. And this, is, this list appears in your meditation handout. This is meditation number seven, taking our own suffering, layers of suffering into compassion. So as you become familiar with this practice through repetition, if you take it up more and more, just as you feel ready to, you can then naturally develop your, your own list, a fuller list of feelings like this. So I'm going to go ahead and just name a few pretty common feelings for human beings uh, that we find pretty distressing. Uh, is that okay? 
and then you can pick one or just, or, or just pick one of your own. Okay, so it'll be a feeling that's really broadly shared with human beings in general, even within our own distinct contexts. So for example, bring to mind an anxiety that you feel about your body or your health, or it could even be a fear of severe illness. Okay? And see how that's a feeling that's shared with a lot of other human beings? Uh, second one? Uh, and so you need to pick one of these. <laughs> Bring to mind any fear that you have for a loved one in their vulnerability and mortality. This one is huge for me. A fear that you have for a loved one in their vulnerability and in their mortality. Uh, or you could bring to mind any uh, grief that you feel at the loss of a relationship or a job or a way of life. The loss of something uh, very important to you. Or you can bring to mind a feeling that you may be familiar with of despair or hopelessness. Or you could bring to mind any feeling of longing or loneliness, or incompleteness, or addiction. And these are in your handout. You can bring to mind grief that you feel at the loss of someone who has died. Or you could bring to mind any fears that you may have at your own, impen your own impending death. So, does those sound good? <laughs> I mean, good for the practice. So there are a lot. It seems like human, humans experience these kinds of feelings. I've lived in a number of different cultures. I can assure you that everyone in those cultures experiences these feelings. These kinds of feelings. But in their own context, in their own culturally constructed way, of course. Okay, Do, does everyone have a feeling that you can bring to mind for the meditation? And again, uh, best, uh, not a feeling that's not too overwhelming for you, but still, it's, it's kind of a painful feeling, like a lot of other humans feel, and that'll become your connection to them. Does everybody have something? Okay. Maybe having listened to me all retreat, maybe another someone someone really annoying, having to listen to them all day. That's also shared among human beings, I think. Okay, so here's a key in, a key instruction in it that'll be repeated within the meditation itself. As I said before, we have to feel like there's kind of a safety net here. We have to feel safe enough to be with a distressing feeling, or we won't. Parts of us will come up that just want to think about other things, or, or whatever. We just won't go there. So we have to feel safe enough. And that's really provided by the holding environment that we've learned to, to become or connect with in field of care meditation and CPF meditation. And that becomes the support for this practice. It can actually be done with either the field of care 
uh, background of practice or with CPF background of practice. But uh, right now we're going to do it with the field of care background. So what this means is we'll start with the field of care practice, but then uh, let that uh, kind of loving holding environment that we become through that practice, let that just sort of settle into the background. And then in the foreground, bring to mind the distressing feeling that you chose for the meditation, one that you're familiar with. And then you'll, you'll do that in order to just experience, the wording is really just like this, just experience through that feeling uh, what it's like to experience it for a human being. What does that feel like for a human being to experience that in your body, in your mind? What other feelings come up with that kind of a feeling? And then where that's going to go is then will come a reminder that many other people experience difficult feelings like this in their own way. So now sense right through your feeling what many others feel. You feel how powerful that can be? Sense now right through your feeling what many others are undergoing. This is what they're feeling. So in this way, sensing your feeling as not just your own now, but as your deep connection to many others, as what many others feel too. Feel that. That's pretty profound. And then again, the holding environment of our field of care will come forward and hold all that. Now the, the problem is that when we uh, have a distressing feeling in the foreground, as it were, it, it may become too overwhelming to be with it in the way I'm instructing here. There's a point that may come when it's just, well, it's just getting a little too overwhelming. So what to do at that point? Then you just settle back again into the holding environment, the loving holding environment of your field of care. The practice can also be done with CPF, so you could similarly just settle back into CPF, compassion, presence, feelings. But here we'll do it with the field of care for simplicity. Just settle back into that loving, holding environment and let the feeling of difficulty you're having with being with it just be embraced in those loving qualities to just settle in its own time in its own way, if it would like. And if or when it does, then you just return again to letting the distressing feeling come forward a little bit again. So it's a, it involves a kind of a balance to find our footing in it. But we can learn to find that balance, settling back into the loving environment of the field of care, and then coming forward again a little, with the distressing feeling, or if it's becoming too much, settle back a bit not to oppose that, the difficulty we're having with the feeling, but then to let that difficulty, that feeling of difficulty, just be, experience that loving, holding environment. So you see how the, what we've been learning with field of care and CPF is coming right into this. And we can find our balance in that way. What I mean by balance is just like that. Oh, okay, I can be with it again now. Oh, now it's becoming a little too overwhelming. I'll just settle back. So overall, through the process and with repetition, we can learn that this is actually quite safe for us. It can become more and more quite safe for us. 
and then it can be, start to be a kind of a joy of discovery of how profoundly what the, the very feelings I most didn't want to have are like this precious gift as they're the, the connection to this enormous power of uh, empathy and compassion that I otherwise have no access to at all. Too busy just experiencing the feeling as, as if it's only my own. To realize that it's like a precious gift. That's like the judo move. The, the, the reversal of how we're used to being. Okay. What the heck? Why not give it a try? Yeah. And is it connecting with other people who've had that same feeling or any well, if it's a feeling, well, ultimately it becomes any difficult feeling, but initially there's a sense that you're, you're feeling right through your feeling what others feel. Now, of course, others are not, don't feel things exactly the same way we do. I know that. But for the purpose of the, of the training, that's really powerful to experience your own feeling that way. As if you're, you're, you're starting to feel right through your feeling and it's, and it, and it's distressingness. This is what so many feel. Like it's a we now, holding this feeling. So in that sense, it's, a, it's the similar feeling. But then that can expand to, whoa, this is what we're going through. Hundreds of these, thousands of these. And then there could just be a broader sense that comes out in the practice. Yeah. Okay, shall we? What the heck? That's always my question. <laughs> It's a question that nobody's ever really answered adequately. <laughs> okay, sorry. Okay, so we can again can sort of stretch in our own place for a moment. Compassion one meditation. Okay. So again, we'll just uh, sit in a relaxed way. Eyes can be open, gazing gently downward if you'd like. And we just come down from the thinking mind into the body, feeling it as a whole. Just kind of relaxing into that. Let the breath flow naturally. While breathing from the abdomen. And feeling the abdomen move with the breath. Eyes open can help in this part of the afternoon to stay awake.
And now you, you can bring to mind your field of care is present here with you now. And you're being seen and held in deep care, love, compassion, and warmth beyond judgments. You can let yourself just feel that, just relax into that experience and just steep in its loving energies and qualities and let them infuse your whole being. Every part of you loved in its very being. Just relaxing into that. And in that way, just kind of becoming that loving, holding environment for everything. And now while continuing to feel that loving holding environment now in the background, in the foreground, bring to mind the distressing feeling that you chose for this meditation. And just take a little time to sense what it's like for someone to experience that feeling through your own experience of it. Just sensing what it's like for a human being to experience this kind of feeling. How it feels in your heart and mind and body. and also what other feelings may come up in association with that feeling. What it's like for a human being to feel that. And if it becomes too overwhelming, as I said, just settle back into your field of care. Let that feeling of difficulty with that feeling itself then just be embraced in the, that loving, holding environment. And if it settles or relaxes a bit, and if you like, you can return to 
in the foreground, bringing that distressing feeling to mind again. To feel what it's like for a human being to experience this. So now, remember, many, many other people experienced distressing feelings like this in their own ways. So now, sense right through your feeling what others feel. Feel through your feeling what they feel. And in this way, sense this feeling is not just your own now. You're feeling what many others feel. It's not just your feeling. And now again, just settle back and recall that your whole being is held in the unconditional love and compassion of your field of care. And let all of your feelings be embraced in this loving energy. Every part of you loved in its very being. And here comes the important part. Are you ready? By accepting this loving energy into your own suffering feeling, imagine or sense you are accepting it into everyone with similar feelings. Into everyone with similar feelings. By letting the radiance of this loving energy extend through you to them all, while wishing them deeply well and free of all distress and suffering. Again, by accepting this loving energy into your own suffering, imagine you're accepting it into everyone with similar feelings. By letting the radiance of this loving energy extend through you to them all. Like a great radiance of love and compassion. While wishing them deeply well and free of the suffering. Just letting this radiance of loving energy just pervade 
all those with similar suffering feelings. And hidden layers of suffering. while just wishing them deeply well and free. And if you want, you can imagine that they are becoming free of the suffering and deeply well through this and can just let yourself take joy in their relief and joy. Now you can let this pervasive field of loving warmth and compassion just help your mind to to trust a bit and relax deeply and settle back a bit inwardly. And just let the mind release all of its frameworks of meditation or worry and just become naturally wide open like space. And let whatever arises now in experience just process or metabolize itself within this sky-like openness of awareness by just letting everything be. We can let the uh, effect of the meditation just continue to resonate.
So, just a few things about what this meditation raises up um, in my experience of it. Um, part of the reason why we tend to get overwhelmed by suffering is that we tend to experience the suffering as if it were the only reality here. But we tend to experience whatever suffering we're encountering as the only real reality here. This is what's really real, nothing else really is. So in this practice, we experience our suffering feelings not as the entire reality here, but as embraced in a larger reality of love and compassion. It is a larger awareness of openness and loving energy and spacious acceptance that is profoundly healing and in which we can feel safe enough to become newly conscious of layers of suffering in ourselves that we share with others as a basis for, of compassion for them all. The second point is that often, as I had mentioned, our suffering can make us feel terribly isolated from others, kind of alone in our pain. The suffering really feels like it's just mine and it's making me feel more and more terribly alone. No one else can really understand it. It's just mine. So in this practice, we're actually starting to experience our painful feelings not as isolating us from others, but as deeply connecting us to them as a basis of compassionate solidarity with all the others. Now that doesn't mean at a conscious level, so suppose I'm going through something nowadays, let's say, um, some kind of like painful experience, of makes me feel profoundly hopeless or despair. And I start to feel more and more kind of isolated and alone in my despair. Can't really talk about it with anyone because the, no one else really can understand it. But at the level of feeling, actually, others do experience feelings like this, but they may not be ready right now, consciously, to process all this and to talk with me about it in ways that are profoundly helpful to me. So I may feel very isolated. But nevertheless, as I get in contact with this feeling, I can sense right through it what many others also feel in their own ways when they feel something like despair. So it doesn't mean that everybody in my world is ready to talk to me in helpful ways because they all understand despair they may not have much conscious understanding of their own despair because they don't necessarily have a practice like this that helps us feel safe enough to become more and more conscious of that despairing feeling. But I do have this practice. And that means as I come in contact with others, more and more others in various contexts, I can sense the feeling of despair that some of them have, even though they're not conscious of it or they wouldn't be able to name it yet. You follow what I'm saying? So this is operating a kind of uh, underlying or we're becoming newly conscious of what has been subliminal or only partly conscious to us. 
And that means it's, it's largely subliminal and only partly, con- partly conscious to many others. But as we become aware of it, we're aware of inner layers also in them, like in ourselves. And that does increasingly connect us to others. It can make us a better listener. Or we can hear and sense more because we're more in touch with our layers of our own feeling and sense more in their layers or at least sense that they have such layers aware of that some more or less like my own but they have them so in this way it starts to become really deeply connecting my own experiences and uh, especially painful experiences are not, are not my own it turns out that was actually a mistaken way of thinking again it's very conditioned socially conditioned but it was always a mistake our, our feelings including our painful feelings were never, never just our own never just about me and to the degree that I made the mistake of thinking that they were to that degree they're more distressing because they're not evoking qualities of awakening like compassion. One way this was put was by a, a practitioner in a prior retreat a few years ago said that she felt something, somehow this is paradoxically uplifting for her to engage this meditation. Somehow she had that reaction almost immediately. It's like, wow, somehow this is unburdening. And then she thought for a moment, and the way she phrased it was, somehow recognizing that we share the same burden feels like an unburdening. The third point I wanted to note about the practice, at least for me, is that by sensing hidden layers of suffering in all others, no matter how they appear to us, this practice really much further breaks down the in-group boundaries and superficial judgments of others that have impeded the, the freer flow of care and compassion to too many others and also impeded deeper discernment. So this practice really starts to cut deep and start to break down our kind of superficial ways of, of accepting our superficial perceptions and labels of others that were so, are so conditioned, even largely pre-conscious, just accepting them as if that's all that people are. That there aren't these hidden layers of struggle in them. Just even to think that thought, hidden layers of struggle in them, is already like breaking down. The, oh, he's just like that, or she's just that. Just really starts to cut it out, cut through it. Okay, so I just wanted to raise up a few of those features uh, embedded in it. Uh, so I just would pose the question. We have a few minutes left before we take a break. What what does the meditation? What does this meditation newly show? Excuse me, show you, or uh, raise up for you, and also any questions? Yeah, we'll switch. <laughs> 